you describe your fashion in like one quick way? <laughs> um, so the way, because like a lot of like places always ask like, oh, like how do you describe your fashion? So like, the way that I've always like come to terms with describing is like unicorn throw up. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because like um, like I think the word eclectic is like way overused. Like oh my no God. one style it, whatever you know whatever. Um, but like. I usually, like, clash a lot of patterns. I think that definitely comes from, like, my Iranian roots, just kind of, like, really, like, liking bright colors. And, like, mm-hmm. So it's very, like, pattern clashy and, like, very, like, menswear-inspired. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I like, like, really nice patterns and, like, menswear-style cuts, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm Summer Fields, and this is The Quad, bringing you voices from our very own world, the Chicago Quad and beyond. Back in the fall, I sat down with Huda Katabi, a fourth year in the college. She's the voice behind fashion and social action blog Jirji Azad, which means free bird in Farsi. We chatted about a bunch of projects she's doing, including her thesis project on underground women's fashion in Iran. She also just released Tehran Street Style, the first ever in-print collection of modern fashion photography from the streets of Tehran, Iran. So she keeps really busy, and she looks really great doing it. She might describe her fashion sense as unicorn throw-up, but I call it slaying my life on a daily basis. Stay tuned. Um, I am a fourth year undergraduate college student studying international studies and Near Eastern languages and civilization. And I am a blogger at Juju Azad, which means free bird in Farsi. I started in August of 2013. And before that, I've been like, I was looking through like fashion blogs a lot. And I was reading like a few of my favorites, like religiously. But I never really thought about starting my own just because like I enjoy fashion, like the artistic part of it. But it's not something... It was not like fulfilling enough for me just to like go into it um, like as a blogger myself. But then that month, um, there was a Muslim woman in France who was attacked uh, and she lost her baby because she was, she was pregnant. And that hate attack really just like, it stood out to me. And I don't know why in particular, because personally, like I grew up in Oklahoma and I was like, I was a victim of hate attack myself. And like, I see it all the time and like it happens all the time in the news, but for some reason... Like, that one really in particular, like, stuck out to me. And I decided that, like, I really needed to take my representation as, like, an Iranian Muslim, like, hijab-wearing woman into my own hands and, like, let people know, like, what Islam really is um, and kind of, like, like represent my own self through, like, the way that I dress, the way that I write, and the way that I take photos. Um, and so I just decided to turn it into, like, a fashion and social action blog. So it's, like, it's fashion, but it's also talking about, like, like, almost like an anti-fashion look, an anti-capitalistic look. Um, at the same time, like, answering people's questions about Islam, because obviously, like, when I wear a headscarf, like, it it definitely is, like, incorporated into, like, my fashion and the way that people see me. Um, so that obviously raises a lot of questions for my readers. I didn't want to, like, create a space to encourage people to consume because I'm very anti-capitalistic myself. And so I, I still have a lot of issue with the way that I present my blog because, like, I... 
like at one time, like I am like saying, like I am like promoting like certain brands, of course, like I only work with ethical brands, um, but still like it, at the end of the day, I am encouraging people to buy. And I have seen like my readers like emailing me like, oh my God, like look what I bought from this ethical brand you told me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like people are buying this stuff, but like I'm anti-capitalistic or like, for example, some like um, companies will come to me and like ask to sponsor me, but like their readers and like their customers are people that are like my target audience, which are like young, white, slightly materialistic, slightly racist like girls. Um, so like I want that audience um, because that's the audience that I'm trying to get to and like talk about ethical fashion and like talk about like limiting like spending and things like that. But at the same time, like I have to come to terms with presenting myself in a way that would like attract that sort of audience. So like I still have to do like the hashtag like outfit of the day. Um, but at the same time, like, I can, like, turn that into something a little bit more. Yeah. How did that become your target audience? Um, because, like, I, before I had, like, a, like, a Tumblr, like, everybody does, and, like, I, like, I just, like, like, reposted things, and, like, I feel like I was really preaching to the choir. Like, my readers, like, my followers on my Tumblr were, like, the same, like, they had the same ideas, and I felt like the thing was really happening, we're just, like, all, like, yeah, like... Like, white feminism sucks, you know? But the people who actually needed to read it were not reading my blog. And so I wanted to create a way that I could almost create, like, I use, like, fashion as, like, a hook almost to, like, talk about issues that people in the fashion world, a lot of them, like, need to, like, be more aware of. Like, for example, the destruction that the fashion industry is doing or, like, the lack of diversity in runways and, like, like plus-size models and, like, how, like, yeah, and, like, the standards of beauty that are being created and perpetuated with it. I tried being a part-time blogger um, at the end of last spring, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to post every other day, and each post is going to be great, but that is so exhausting, um, especially if you want to, like, have, like, good and quality posts, and, like, you have to, like, some of them you have to, like, do shoots and, like, do editorial work, um, and, like, you're constantly in conversation with, like, brands and, like, readers, so it's really, really difficult and, like, overwhelming to post that much, um, and in a sense, it's almost, like, capitalism in itself, because it's definitely just, like, like focusing on outlet and, like, just creating a bunch of things like really quickly in order to sell to an audience, but not necessarily like focusing on the quality of it or like, like if you're producing that many articles like in a week, like if someone is actually reading your blog religiously, they won't actually be able to like read it and take it to heart. You know, they'll just like read it and like pass, you know, just like, okay, next, you know? So now I'm trying to work on like creating a blog post every time like I've finished one and like every time I've put in effort and every time like, like I try to have at least 500 words in most of my articles, like they're like, legitimate articles that people like like to read and like to share and like can actually like think about before the next one comes out so now I'm about like once every week or once every two weeks Mm -hmm. that's pretty good yeah um what was your first post my first post is a hello like welcome (laughs) welcome to this space and um it was just like a text post that was like I don't I think I was like thinking a few of my friends that helped me come up with my name like of like Tujuazad um and I think that was my very first post. I was just like very, very excited. My second post was, it was an outfit shoot that I had done with my friend, but not for my blog, just kind of like for funsies um, in like the two lane like art district in Oklahoma, if you can even be called an art district. Um, we just like, like dressed up and like went out and like took photos of each other and it was like a lot of fun and I just like uploaded that and it was like, <laughs> like looking back on that, it's like so poor quality and like so poorly done and I can't believe that like, I mean, it's nice to see that, like, I've progressed a little bit, but... So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, how did you take your interest and just passion for Juju as that and make it your research question for international studies and 
Near Eastern, what is it? Near Eastern languages and civil... Nelk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess I, like, through my blog, I realized really, like, how important and vital, like, clothing really is for shaping identity. Not only for myself, but, like, for a lot of, like, the people, who, like, the way that people were leaving comments and, like, the way people reacted to certain, like, um, pieces that I had written or, like, certain posts and certain, like, um, shoots that I had done. And just, like seeing how engaged people are and like how like the importance of just like how you dress affects not only your identity but like how people view you um and kind of like even like where you are on like a cultural scale and like things like that I started getting really into it from like the Iranian side of it um because I'm obviously Iranian I'm very (laughs) I'm proud to be Iranian (laughs) as all Iranians are um so I really also wanted an excuse just to like travel and go back to Iran and like do research there Mm -hmm. um and so, yeah, and I think Iran is a very, like, interesting case because, like, there's, like, a normalized dress code. Like, the government has, like, mandatory dress code that everyone needs to follow. Um, and yet, like, and that, like, the point of that is to, like, create, like, um, so people wouldn't focus on, like, external things as much or, like, you know, it would, like, normalize, like, sexuality within society because women would be covering up, like, what would be considered, like, a sexual part that would, like, differentiate that from men, like, in public spaces. Um... And so, like, you would think that, like, Iranians now would, like, not be really into fashion, not being, like, caring about what they look, but it's almost, like, the opposite effect because, like, any single girl that you ask in, like, Iran has an opinion about fashion. Like, so much. And it's, like, really, really insane. And, like, they're always saying things like, oh, yeah, we're, like, addicted to black. Or, like, you know, like, things like... It's, like, it's just a very, very interesting place from, like, a fashion and, like, clothing standpoint. Um, and I thought it'd just be really, really interesting to, like, look at that from, like, a political level and, like, the growing underground fashion, like, movement that's happening. And, like, since that's, like, something that's been in the past, past, like, five to ten years, it's been, like, started and has been growing. Like, it's something that not also has, like, a lot of research has been done in this. So I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of, like, look at that and, like, look at, like, like the culture around that. So what is your current research question? Um, so currently... My very broad research question is, um, like, what the relationship is between nation construction and identity construction of women in Iran via mandatory clothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, how would, what do you say the power of the underground fashion movement is in Iran right now? Um, well, I think it's a very, very complicated place, and I think that's why it's something that really needs to be researched. Like, a lot of articles that you'd read on, like, The Guardian or, like, Fox News or, like, whatever, um, they're always talking about, oh, there's, like, a growing, like, revolution, like, a modern revolution against, like, Islam. And it's, like, this, like, dichotomy that's set up that, like, for example, like, somehow a religion that obviously is alive in the modern is somehow, like, a prehistoric religion, and it's against, like, modern clothing, which, a.k.a. is, like, Western clothing, um, it's like everything is equated, like everything that is like westernized is equated with modernity and like everything that is like not is equated with like backwardness. And so like a lot of people see this underground like movement as like a fashion revolution that's like going like against Islam and like everyone in it are like active, like activists and like against this, but it's not like that at all. Like there are definitely a few designers that like when I was like interviewing them, they were talking about how they want to like, like I remember a quote that I remember to, like translated into English. They said that like the first thing that you change when you want to change like your identity is like to change your clothes, and like we're trying to start like a cultural like change in a lot of Iranians, um, and so like there are definitely people who are like actively like going down like a resistance movement. But there are so many like other Iranians who are part of this movement that are very like 
oh, I just, like, I just like this clothing, or, like, I'm just wearing it because, like, I don't, because, like, it's so small produce, like, and it's, like, slow fashion, they just want to wear something that no other girl on the street is going to wear, um, and, like, another designer that I interviewed, she just, like, I'm not, like, I could care less about what the government is saying, like, I'm just doing what I'm doing, and it just happens to break regulation, um, so I think, like, the romanticization, um, of the underground movement is, would not be a very, like, accurate way of portraying it, um, yeah, and there's also like a very classist thing because most of the people who are participating in the underground like quote unquote revolution are upper class people because one reason also that a lot of designers are designing like underground is because Iran has um, caps like on the amount like that you can charge for a particular like manteau or like clothing. Um, so they want to like charge excess amounts. They want to like, for example, the equivalent of $300 for like manteau and like that's really ridiculous especially like even american dollars or like translated to like the equivalents in like the iranian economy um so it's also like a classist thing so like saying that like only the wealthy people are participating in like a modern revolution would be really really like horrible to say because that's not what's happening mm-hmm. so they want to basically participate in the global logic of capitalism and not be excluded from that like make <laughs> as much as possible basically yeah yeah but, yeah but not all of them are like that again like it is a very mm-hmm. like complicated place and i feel like it's definitely a like a place, site especially for upper class women where they like like in conversation with this like underground like movement um it's where they shape a lot like a lot of identity shaping happens too Mm -hmm. so how many different so you talk to only designers for this um no i talked to i talked to a lot of underground fashion designers i talked to a few government sponsored fashion designers and then i talked to like um like bepushi like the only modeling agency in iran and like i went to like practices and like the owner of like the largest like like production fact clothing production factory in Mm -hmm. Iran too so yeah and also just a lot of like young women like about in their 20s and kind of like seeing what their relationship is like the way that they dress and like their personality and like how they feel like people view them and like things like that Mm -hmm. and you said the way um like the U.S. portrays regulation of clothing (laughs) is kind of just not at all true um and that Oh, yeah. Yeah, the regulation of, of, yeah, what women are wearing is not as much a big deal. Um, Can you just, like, talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, it's definitely a pattern of, like, with the West. Like, they always are great at, like, misportraying the rest of the world. Um, Or even just, like, people within their own country. Um, But I think the notion that, like, like, women being, like, quote-unquote, like, limited by the hijab or, like, limited or regulated by, like, mandatory clothing is, like, or, like, that they can only revol- like revolt through like changing the way they dress is like rooted in like I think the patriarchy and also like Orientalism, um, like it's just like a- assuming that like you can gauge like the progress of a society based on how a woman is dressed, um, or like the once a woman's like clothing is changed, then like the like society can move forward. And it's all like dumb like specifically focused on like women and women's bodies, like physical like something that is very very like rooted in patriarchal understandings of, like, women and fashion and, like, nation and things like that and, like, Mm -hmm. morality. And then also just, like, Orientalism, which, of course, like, the United States is, like, A++ in. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) That, like, yeah, like, this, like, mystical idea of, like, what it means to be, like, someone who, like, wears a headscarf and, like, that means, like, obedience or, like, dominance and, like, things like that when, like, at the end of the day, like, wearing a headscarf, maybe not in Iran, obviously, because it's, like, law, but, like, it's going to be your choice. And, like, I think that a lot of people forget that. Like, I choose to wear a headscarf. Like, no one's... Like, I could, like, leave tomorrow without a headscarf on, but, like, I choose not to. Um, And I think that, like, 
it's also creates and like perpetuates this very like like white feminism like ideology that is like so exclusive of like Muslim women of like black women of like trans women and like all these other like minorities. Um, so what is it like to wear the hijab on the U Chicago campus? <laughs> um, well, uh, it's actually better than wearing it in Oklahoma in the South. But I think definitely the University of Chicago has a lot of problems with, like, making sure that minorities are not, like, targeted and, like, like victims of harassment, etc. Like, especially someone who works on, like, like, Palestine activism on campus. I don't know if you've seen the shit that has gone down, but there's a lot of shit that has gone down. There's, there is a lot of, like, anti-Muslim hate on campus. And, like, the university is completely, like, oblivious. And it really shows where, like, the university's, like, investors are, like, who they are and, like, what they're supporting the university to do. So, do you feel like you've been the target individually of hate crimes, or is it just, like, a sentiment? At the University of Chicago mm-hmm. or in Oklahoma? Here, Because <laughs> yeah. those are different answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, uh, not so much. Although, I feel like maybe what I define as, like, hate or discrimination, things like that, um, because I've come from, like, such, like, a, like, a horrible place, like, I may, I might have, like, a higher threshold for that sort of thing, like, I might have, like, somebody else might have, like, identified, like, something that happened to me is, like, oh, that was horrible, I'm, like, oh, but, like, you know, it happens, you know, so, or, like, I, like, I laugh everything off, like, because of, like, my experiences, like, nothing really, like, bothers me at this point, so maybe I've just been, like, completely oblivious, but me as an individual, um, I have not, but with the organizations that I've been working with, like, in the MSA, or, for example, like, in, like, SJP, like, definitely, like, groups that have, like, um, like, minority work and minority activism in it definitely are targeted. Mm-hmm. Students for Justice in Palestine, yes, right? SJP. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk about Oklahoma. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know the last time I heard something good. <laughs> yeah, for good reason. We actually had the largest meth lab there once in the world, actually. That's, like, one of the only things we're first in. Yeah, um, so it was a shit show. Uh, I was born and raised there. Oh, you were? Actually, okay. yeah, so I was... Definitely excited to move out for college. Um, I started wearing the headscarf in sixth grade. And when I don't wear it, I can be, like, sort of white-passing, especially in a community where everyone is white and, like, they don't assume that somebody else is, like, not white. I was in fifth grade, so I don't think people are very aware of, like, race and, like, hate is something that's taught. Like, it's not, like, innate. Um, I think this might... This has a little bit to do with, like, also, like, culture. And, like, I know that Iranians, at least, um, girls at the age of nine, when they are, like, assumed to, like, reach, like, puberty and, like, when they become women, they start um, wearing the headscarf. But I turned nine halfway through fifth grade, and I was like, well, I'm not going to wear a headscarf, like, half through, through the year. I was like, I'll just wait until, like, I start a new school and, like, start next year. So that's all for today. But if you want more Hoda, you should check out her blog at Juju Azad. That's J-O-O-J-O-O-A-Z-A-D dot com. As a longtime follower of the blog, I highly recommend it. There's so much useful and smart content about anything from cultural appropriation to Muslim feminism to just like fun fashion spreads. So definitely worth checking out. And you can order her book, Tehran Street Style, at jujuazadshop.com. Tehran Street Style is the first ever in-print collection of modern fashion photography from the streets of Tehran. It actively challenges Western notions of Iran in fashion, as well as domestic government clothing regulations. And it provides a visual introduction to the Iranian underground fashion industry and the young people making up the rules as they go. 
I'm Summer Fields. Thanks for listening to The Quad. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Daphne McLean, Char Dastin, and Jay Van Ort. Check out the rest of our episodes or find us on iTunes at bit.ly slash quadpod. You can reach me and the other Quad Podcast producers at youshyquadpodcast at gmail.com. امسالم کش رسید و هنو باز باغ بش بش هنوز گشت ایس پشم دوباره آهنگ بلند پخش برخش 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 بگیریم بردداری رو جشن آه برخش 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 بگیریم بردداری رو جشن بار کار تا آخر شب روزمرگی عادت وقت رئیس دینم یکس از خونه بادم من رو ناورشم بیا دفتر آخر وقت بیره ولی هیچ کلی سخت باورشم رسید آخر خط پیاده میشم پیاده میشم ولی در قفلن و وقت بعد میذاره کارتی دیگه روش توبش خالی میکنه قبض برق و پرتش میکنن زمین خاک بشینه روش آجی فیروزه سالی یه روزه سالی یه روزه نه واسه هر روزه آجی فیروزه